Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. If you missed last Wednesday's episode where I coached Jasmine on how to get out of a rut in a relationship, I highly recommend you go back and check that out. Getting so much positive response to that one. And I know a lot of you, especially with the stress of the past year, so many of you are still in lockdown and you're in really tight corners with those people that you love. And because of that, tensions are high. Being annoyed probably happens more often. And we can start to collect evidence against the people we love and grow apart instead of growing together. So if you haven't caught that one yet, please go back and listen. I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. And in the Coach's Corner episodes, I'm always wanting to add value by bringing on an expert I think you can learn from. Sometimes I just talk to you or guide you through meditation. But today I have Ashley Stahl on, who's a friend of mine for years back in LA, and she's one of the top career experts I know. And I wanted to have someone on to give you some career advice. I know a lot of you have been laid off or you want to change jobs, and you're asking yourself a lot of questions about career. And Ashley just wrote a new book called U-Turn, and it's all about making a turn in your life and your career. And how do you do that? And how do you figure out what your core skill sets are? And how do you figure out what that first step is? And those are some of the things we talk about in today's show. Let me tell you a little bit more about Ashley. She's a counterterrorism professional turned career coach and author of the book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. And she's on a mission to help you step into a career you're excited about and aligned with. She supports clients in 31 countries in discovering their best career path, upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. Her book, along with $2,000 worth of free courses on money mindset, getting clarity on your career, and starting your side hustle, is available now at uturnbook.com. And the U is spelled Y-O-U, turnbook.com. And now on to my talk with Ashley. Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. Thanks so much. I'm so proud of this show. I was looking at it and just reading all the reviews. I'm really excited. Thank you. I'm proud of this community too. We've had so many people that have made massive changes in their life just from listening to the podcast. And it's it's really the the other experts I have on and the, the callers that call in and just share so vulnerably and courageously and allow other people to learn from them. And I know people will learn from you today. So thank you for being here because you're someone that when it comes to career, I look to. Mm. And whenever I'm asked who's a a good career coach or who's really an expert on career, um, I always send people to you because I think that you, not I think, I know that this is something that you're so passionate about and you have a really healthy approach to it because Mm. you're not just about like the linear, connect the dots, find a career that crosses, you you know, checks boxes. You're more exploring the person and then the career after that. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I think right now, so many people, especially this past year, um, have been laid off. They can't do what they used to do. Like I'm just thinking of yoga teachers, for example, or they've really had a reality check in terms of what matters. And they're thinking, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. And so a lot of people are in career crisis. So I wanted to start with what are the different career crises you're seeing? You know, there's a laid off, there's, I don't like my job. And, and what can people start to do to navigate this? Cause I think a lot of people are just like overwhelmed and full of questions and don't have very many answers. Yeah. There's so many spots that people get stuck. And first of all, thanks for saying, I had no idea that you mentioned me to people all the time. I yes. really appreciate that. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Like 
you and I would know this with our love lives, Christine. It's like what we're doing in as a society to people in their career right now is the equivalent of saying you better marry the first person you date. You know what I mean? So and true. My first boyfriend when I was like six in preschool, I <laughs> I love like, that you had a boyfriend you when you were six. That's so yeah, good. I like killed his turtle by accident because I thought Aww. turtles swim. And he had a turtle and I threw it in the pool thinking it would go swim. Oh. And that's how my first relationship was. So, I mean, let's just imagine what that could, I mean, awful, what that could mean for our careers and how much we are moving organisms, growing people. And it's so weird that we put that pressure on ourselves to get it right as a slam dunk on the first pass when this isn't really how life works. It's like failure and mistakes or whatever you want to relate to them as lives on the same block as success, as figuring it out. And too many people are holding their career so heavily that it blocks them from actually keeping themselves nimble and willing to be nonlinear, to try things on so that they can find their fit. And so when it comes to you mentioning like, you know, the yoga teachers and people in the workforce right now, what I really think a lot about is just these myths that we buy into about what it, how our careers should be. And I know a lot of people will buy into the belief that because they've spent a lot of years doing something, it's like that theory of sunken cost. They think like they don't want to make a change. But at the end of the day, my message to them is who you are always wins, you know, like who you are is always going to shine through whether you like it or not, whether you want it to or not. And so the sooner you're able to accept that maybe you've outgrown something, maybe you're complete with something, maybe there's a certain version of what you're doing that might work for you, but there's a lot of things that aren't, the better you are. Change is something that is so necessary for all of us. And I do believe there's a way to talk about your past skill set, the way you've been showing up in your career, even if you're making a pivot and make sense of it for where you're headed. So even if the yoga instructors right now are you know, laid off or they're not able to teach due to the nature of the pandemic, I would say, ask yourself, what are the top three skill sets that you've been using as a yoga instructor? Because it's not, chances are, it's not just yoga. There's so much that goes into that work. And from there, I would say, how can you show up in the workforce within a skill set that you enjoy using? So maybe there's a yoga person who loved doing sales or they loved putting themselves out there. And that's not always the case, but I know there's some. Um, and business development was a huge part of how they got themselves out there. Then I would say, if you enjoy that, take a look at the workforce. And when you talk to people, lead with conversation about your work in yoga, doing business development so that you can make sense of it for where you want to go next. I think people, our minds just kind of block one thing from the next versus saying there's, there's a crossover here and really just realizing it's our job as job seekers, as entrepreneurs to make sense of that bridge we walk when we make a transition. Mm. I love that. And I love really thinking about, and this is something that, you know, I've coached people in and we hear from various career experts is like your skills are transferable. And so think about what other industries they can apply to. And then I think there's the issue underneath that, which is a lot of people really don't like what they're doing like at all. And the problem is they don't have any idea what they would like doing. And so for the people that are there that are like, I am clear that I hate what I'm doing, but I don't know what else I could do. And let's add to that financial pressure 
because this year more than ever, people really have been strained financially. And it's like, well, I, I don't really have the financial ability to take a risk or to go explore new things. One, I don't know what it is. And two, I kind of have the golden handcuffs right now, even though I may not be making a lot of money, it's at least something. So for those people that are feeling both confused and hopeless, where do they even start? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think understanding what you're buying into that might be getting you off path. So one thing that we heard a lot when we were growing up is to follow your passion or to do what you love and the money will follow or whatever those tirades are that we all hear in career services, college or whatever. Those are what got me really off my path. And a lot of the reason why I started my practice a decade ago in the first place was, wow, there's so many people I know when I graduated with all sorts of degrees during the recession and realizing like all of this that I was told feels like a lie. It doesn't feel true at all. And maybe it's true for some people, but what I have learned for me and for clients that have helped is that what you love has value. What you're interested in, what your hobbies are, those all have values and there's a place for them. But I find those to be so much less important for your career path choices than who you are, what your skill set is as a person. And According to research, we tend to thrive when we're good at something. Thrive meaning we're happy, you know, and it's like no surprise that, you know, puts us in a good mood and gives us a little pep in our step when we're good at something. And so I say, let's get leverage on who we are. Let's take a look at where we're naturally great. And the slippery piece with that is that it's hard for people to understand where they're really great. It's hard for people to understand where they're making an impact because it's obvious for them. And so I always recommend people ask the people around them if they're kind of what you're saying, like at square one, it feels like ask people that you trust or that you think have a sense of you. So maybe like do a little simple random sample. I always loved my statistics class in college, you know, a couple of friends that you think kind of get you a couple of colleagues that you work with or you have worked with that got you maybe a professor if you're in college right now, maybe people who work for you if you're an entrepreneur, your parents, maybe ask six or seven people. And I always advise people to ask via text or via email because you can kind of process it and think about what people are saying. But ask the question, when have you seen me at my best? And this question is different because you're not saying what do you think I like? What do you think I'm into? What niche do you think I would be in? I mean, the quality of our career in our lives is directly tied to the quality of our questions. And I think this is very much the case with this question. It's tying you back to your skill set. When have you seen me at my best? So what you'll probably see, and this was actually a really surprising exercise for me to do, even with my parents, where they were writing me back, suggesting things that I was up to that I was like, man, that was when you saw me at my best. I had no idea. Like what were and some of the things that surprised you? I mean, I remember way back when I used to read all the time and it gave me like such a good mood and I used to read poetry books and my dad always used to say, oh, you're always like at your best after you're kind of reading, you'd be in a really good mood, very chatty, very happy. And I just thought me reading a poetry book is putting me in, in my best. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like how underwhelming, but you know what? Um, the ultimate U-turn, like Y-O-U that I use as the concept of my book is that at the end of my book, I talk about how ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a poet and I forgot about that. And it wasn't until I asked my parents, when have you seen me at my best? And they said, well, whenever you read poetry books, you, you get into a really good mood. And I was like, oh, wow, this totally reminds me when I was a little girl, I used to think when I read Shel Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends, like, I want to be like him. I want to be a poet. And it took me 20 years of growing up to come to this now in my mid thirties and be like, dang, after this book comes out, I want to write my poetry collection. 
And so these questions can be super telling. I mean, other things they said was at costume parties, and that was just about me joking around and being really creative. And, you know, I think that that's kind of on the person to assess what are people saying. And then obviously some colleagues told me like when you're on stage, like you're really solid, you're really magical. And so you just kind of collect the information. And I think you ask yourself after you look and kind of read people's answers, what skill am I using? Who am I being when they see me at my best? And across the board, if I looked at the feedback I got from friends, it came back to words, which is one of my 10 core skill sets I talk about in my book. The words core skill set is meant for anyone who is great at speaking, writing, anything that they do with words translates into money, success, results, impact for them. And so for me, words came across the board in all of my answers, and it really guided me to getting that clarity on this is my core skill set, where I'm going to use it, how I'm going to use it, what interest I'm going to tie into it. I'm not sure yet, but this is my core skill set. And I want to remind people there's a really big difference between production and consumption. Uh, I love consuming fashion content. I read politics. I watch the news. But I'm what I've learned, I love cupcakes. You know, I would be an awful baker, you know, like not a good producer of cupcakes, not a good fashion designer, not meant for working in politics, been there, done that. The difference between me being interested in something and me having the skills and mental natural tools to carry out on it is huge. And so for me, knowing my skill set became the first priority. And then my interest became a backdrop. Like maybe I'll be using words in the political realm. Maybe I'll be using words in the fashion world. Maybe I'll be using it in the baking world. But first and foremost, I need to know that skill set and remember that there's a whole list of responsibilities that could possibly fall under that skill. Mm, I love that. And we're going to get to the the 10 core skills in a second. I just want to circle back to the money conversation because this is where you as a coach really comes in handy. This is the number one reason, the number one block I, I get from people in terms of why they can't make a change in terms of their career is it's the money. It's the money. I can't, I, I can't risk it. I can't afford it. I don't know how I'd make money. Can we unpack the, the money ex, uh, excuse, reason, block, whatever we want to call it? Yeah. I love that you're circling back to this because I could just go on forever about core skill sets and money <laughs> is the big deal. So the first question I have for anybody saying that is where did you learn that making a change means taking a loss? Mm, Wait, say that again. That was so good. Where did you learn that making a change means taking a loss? Like really, because there are so many different ways when I talk about my 10 core skill sets, for example, to express them. And like we were talking about, it's really about how do you talk about where you've been with where you're headed? And, And the onus of that is on you. So I would say really questioning your belief that making a change means losing money And I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come into my practice and made a change. I had a doctor, never many doctors come in who they didn't realize that there's so much admin work to being a doctor, like half of it's being patients, half of it's just filing cabinets. And they've come to me and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not an admin person. I can't, I can't. And one of my clients was actually meant for fashion. And I told her, look, like you can't come in at the entry level. You're making a quarter million dollars a year. Like I can't even imagine you going in at 45K, you know? And she said, okay, well, what's the middle ground? And I really looked at different openings in the fashion space with her based on her skill set. She's very analytical. 
And I said, how do we take this? And, and that's a skill set analysis. How do we take the skill set and make sense of it? And so it kind of goes back with this money conversation of really putting the onus on yourself to talk about what you do in a way that's very effective. Um, I just think the whole money conversation is truly an illusion. Yes, if you want to go from being a tech executive to you know, a graphic designer, you're going to have to start learning. But one thing I would say is really take a look at your finances. How much money do you need to live and support yourself, your family, whatever have you, how much money truly? And then number two is, have you ever considered the power of a part-time job? Because so many people think I don't want to take a financial cut, but they haven't really looked at their finances and said, how much do I need to keep my lifestyle going? And is there something I can do part-time that can support me at this bare minimum of my finances while I step into something else? And that something else can be something you transition into part-time. You know, maybe it's not paying you what you want, but you really want to do it and you want to do something else part-time. But I do think there's a huge power in part-time jobs. And as a society, I think we're buying into the belief way too often that a part-time job is something that just kind of fell off of a corporate plate and is something that's very alternative versus some highly creative project that a company just simply isn't hiring for full-time. And so I just want to say to anybody worrying about money right now, have you just gone into that assumption? Or are you thinking about all the different ways you can channel your core skill set, all the different ways you can talk about it, and all the different part-time jobs that exist out there while you explore your other options? And how do you, how do you, when you work with clients, have them work with some of just the, the money belief system blocks? Cause I love that one. That's a great challenging one, but do you ever see that there's a connection to self-worth and self-confidence and money blocks? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Your career, it, it is kind of, it was surprising for me when I started my business, how much personal development I was doing. And it's funny now I'm like, that's not surprising at all. Your career is a matter of your self-esteem. You're yeah. asking for money, asking to contribute. Like it's all about you and you're being seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always do money work with people and I try to do it beyond just going back in time and looking at where the conversations in their home or the experiences they had with their caretaker have made a mark on them. Um, So that's just a starting point. And I'm sure you've talked about this somewhat, but anybody listening, just asking yourself, what was the conversation like about money, about success, about possibility in my home? And what were some moments that I became very aware of money in my home. In my case, it was my 10th birthday. I didn't even know what money was. And we had, my dad had lost his business and I had no idea that that's why we moved homes. But as a kid, I was excited we moved to a smaller home and I didn't realize it was because he couldn't afford the other one anymore because I loved that they were closer. Their bedroom was closer to mine. We were all more connected. Um, so for me, it was kind of good news. I just didn't know what money was and I wasn't taught that smaller means that there's a loss, you know, in my home. And I remember for my birthday, my dad giving me luggage and on years previously, and I read about this in my book, but in previous years, he had given me very over the top gifts. And I remember throwing a tantrum and crying. And this moment where my dad was like, honey, this is what I can afford. I'm so sorry. I don't have money. And it was the first time in my little old brain that I learned that when you're not making money, you get less fun presents. And I remember being this kind of like spoiled little kid because we had grown up with a lot of privilege up until this point. And even still, we had plenty of privilege, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that having been the case in my life. And, you know, my dad went to his bedroom and he started crying. And I remember cracking the door open as a little kid and like throwing that whole tantrum about the luggage. And my little brother who, you know, like bless his heart, he was like, I'll take it. You know, this feels like useful. 
and going into my dad's room. And I remember he started having a panic attack and he was breathing really heavy and, and he looked like he was suffocating. And he said, this is going to kill me. And I, I said, what dad, are you okay? And, and he said, what's going to kill you? And he said, money. And ever since I was a little kid, I had a belief like the pursuit of money, it kills people. It means that when you don't have it, you're not having as much fun. So you need to have it, but the pursuit of it might kill you. So I had a um, lot of beliefs about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you unpack those? What was your process that really works? I'm sure you did a lot, but what was the thing that really shifted it for you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, we, we all eventually can get to a place where we realize like we are worthy just because we are, you know, like that's it. But it takes a lot to get back to our birthright. It takes a lot to get back to that awareness. And so for me, one thing that I say out loud, sometimes when I feel myself getting caught in a, in a pattern of thinking that I know he did is that was him. And this is me. I am him. And I say that out loud all of the time when it comes up for me. But of course, I did the USM work that both of us kind of learned at University of Santa Monica. I believe that when I'm feeling really disturbed, it's just an invitation for me to start writing down the thoughts that I'm having when I feel really off kilter. What are the stressful thoughts I'm having so that I can just get leverage on them? And I notice that a lot of money beliefs will come up for me when I'm on the verge of a massive opportunity that feels like an edge for me. Like in the past couple of years, um, one opportunity that came up was being a spokesperson for all sorts of different brands. And I know you've done work like that. And the bigger the brand, the bigger the payment, the bigger the contract, the more scared I got. Like, wow, this is like a really big opportunity. Am I going to lose it? Am I going to change my lifestyle when I get this? And then I can't afford it the moment that they leave. You know what I mean? Like all of that up. And so I had to work a lot on the beliefs that I can't trust life like that, that it's all on me, that I'm all alone, that I have to make it all happen. And um, so a lot of the words that I wrote down when I was in a stressful state with money, uh, just to get leverage on my beliefs were, you know, I would let my hand just write freely. And it would write things like, you know, money comes and it goes just as quick. I can't keep success going. Um, if I change my lifestyle, I'm going to endure a loss, like live low, live lean, you know, like all of these things. And I started to really forgive myself and feel the memories of those moments, like with my dad and forgive myself for all of the things that I thought in those memories. And I know you and I have done so much of that work through that curriculum that we both did. And that was really a turning point for me was even realizing how heavy these memories weighed on my heart, on my soul, on my being, on the way that I was behaving. And so there were some times um, after that where I started doing that work and looking at the beliefs and forgiving myself for believing them, memory, you know, remembering the memories where I started doing inner child work, where every single night for a couple of months after that, Before I closed my eyes, I would be in bed at night. It was when I was single. So thankfully there wasn't like a guy next to me being like, what are you doing? you know? And I would sit there and I would picture little me. And I didn't know where, you know, I never knew when I closed my eyes where she would be. So there were some moments where I'd picture her at a random park that I used to go to. Other moments I picture her in the bedroom I was sleeping in, like in the corner, just sitting there. It it was like a very creative, I don't know, kind of like a, a trip that I took myself on. And I would close my eyes, not knowing where I would see her. And I would see her wherever she was. And I would just say to her, how are you? And it was the first time I'd made contact with, you know, what so many yogis refer to as your inner child. I'd never thought I would be doing inner child work. I mean, I worked <laughs> in counterterrorism, you know, it's like the, <laughs> like shutting yourself off a little mm-hmm. bit. 
So for me to be picturing little me and she would always be wearing a different outfit that she loved. And some nights when I closed my eyes, she would just be sitting there and she'd just say hi. And I'd say hi back to her. And I'd say, do you need anything today? And she'd say, no, I'm just here. And I'd be like, mm. all right, close my eyes and go to bed. Yeah. Other days she would be having a tantrum, a meltdown, crying. And it was such a mirror for whatever I was experiencing that day, like how I was connecting to my inner child. So if I had a hard day, it was very normal for me to close my eyes and see her having a hard day. We are fun. And so I would see her crying. And and one time I saw her at the park that I used to go to when I was a kid. And and I totally became her parent in that moment and said, do you want to come sit with me on the bench? And she came over in my imagination And I said, what are you thinking about? Why are you feeling so sad? I'm here for you. And she just started talking and I put my arm around her. And I remember her her whimpering kind of slowed down and got quiet. And I felt this sense of wholeness for the first time in my entire life. Mm, I love that. Well, you know, I'm a we teach inner child stuff a lot on the show. And I think that connection is so important because our, our relationship with money is tied into safety and security. And we project safety and security onto our parents in so many ways. And the more we can have that safe and secure connection with our own inner parent and reparent ourselves, it helps our confidence. It helps our ability to make money. It helps our ability to feel safe. And we also aren't looking to money to fulfill safety and security because the more pressure we put on money to make us feel safe, the more elusive it becomes, the harder it is to get because we have all this, this attachment to it. But the more we can really feel that security and, and check in with that inner child like you did and know that, let her, her or him know that we're really there, it provides so much internal safety and security. And then, you know, life meets us externally where we are internally. And I know for so many people, when they have that connection, they start to feel more safe and secure inside themselves. They're not only their relationship to money, but the the way money's coming into their life changes. So I love that you shared that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And I love that your audience probably has some exposure to inner child work. And I, I just hope that anybody who listens to this tries this on if they're feeling called to tonight before they close their eyes, because it really changed my life. And I talk to her all the time, especially when big opportunities sneak into my inbox, you know, like big opportunities are often wrapped in small text messages or emails, you know, right. these moments in our lives. And the moment I see them, it's like, I can feel my adrenaline and my dopamine and my body pumping. And it's in those moments as I'm opening the emails that I talk to my inner child. So I feel like I have that direct line of communication to her and I'll say out loud, like, it's okay. I've got you. Like, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. You've mm-hmm. got this. You know, whether it's a big opportunity or scary opportunity, um, or both wrapped into one. So I love that. I want to shift gears for a moment because the, the workplace landscape is changing with everything going on, companies changing, more people working from home, uh, other, some businesses closing down, other businesses thriving. What have you really noticed for people that are looking for a job right now? Where should they look? What industries are doing really well? Where are the people that are hiring? What are some of the best social media sites to be on, to be looking? Like for the people that are looking, where should they look, especially in this changing landscape? Yeah, love this question. Things are definitely changing. And I read a study recently that in the UK, every job opening is getting over 4,600 applications. Oh my gosh. It's the application 
Yeah, the applicant tracking robots, uh, that software that screens applications is surging right now because a lot of employers have removed the location of a job posting. Like now that we're in a remote working world, the, you know, the location of the job is being removed. And as a result, employers are accessing talent that they never would have considered before. And it's surging. So now is the time to network, not the, not the time to apply for jobs. And you can absolutely be networking virtually. Um, and there's many different ways that I absolutely love doing that. One is the power of joining a LinkedIn group. Good, finding a good one is like finding a diamond in the rough. So finding a group of like-minded professionals, a highly engaged networking group where you can really add value and put out good content that helps other people. And, and it's quite entrepreneurial, of course, to be doing this, but engaging with other people and looking for ways you can take those conversations in those groups offline into a Zoom call so that you can network with people is the way to always go. As far as industries that are on the rise and uh, skill sets that you can be considering, I mean, we've been hearing this for the past three, four years, the importance of soft skills, whether it's people managing or adaptability, you know, th those skills are going to continue to be highly evaluated, especially as robots replace people in certain jobs. Um, so I would say right now I'm seeing a huge surge in healthcare, obviously, uh, a huge surge in technology, especially artificial intelligence and automation. Um, right now is a great market if you are a top performer, because while companies are doing layoffs, they're not laying off their top performers and other companies know that. Other companies know that. And so I am seeing so many people get poached. I had a client who doubled his salary in one job hop because he was, uh, he grew really quickly in a company and you could see on his LinkedIn that he after the company went through a lot of layoffs, he was not somebody who got laid off. And it's not to say if you're laid off that you are poor talent. That's not the case at all. It is to say that if somebody is sticking around in a company that has taken those layoffs, they're going to get poached. And so I would say right now is a good time for you to really brush up on how you talk about yourself, how you create value, what your elevator pitch is, and just start joining those networking groups. Even websites like Eventbrite and meetup.com have taken their meetings virtual, and that's hugely helpful. So I would encourage anybody listening, entrepreneurs, job seekers, hop on meetup.com, hop on Eventbrite, take a look at where you can find like-minded people in professional circles virtually. So I, I wish that I had some advice on where to apply for jobs, but I just think it's a waste of time. Mm, I love that. Well, yeah, it sounds like if there's, you said 4,500 applications, <laughs> then yeah. I can really see that's that like, is is a little bit bananas. Okay. So I, I would love to talk a little bit more about your book. I love the name of it. U-turn, Y-O-U-turn. Explain the title because well, I, you've explained it to me, but I'd love you to explain it to our audience. Cause I absolutely love that title. Thank you. I feel like, you know, one thing that we both have probably seen plenty in personal development is just reactivity. And I think that takes a lot of space in people's careers is if something's not working, they make a U-turn as if you're driving a car and they go the other way completely. And I think where we're really missing the mark is in needing to make an actual Y-O-U-turn, like really coming home to yourself, who you really are, what your skills are, what your actual interests are, and creating your career from a completely new energy. I mean, so many people have said to me, like, I need clarity. And I've just constantly believed, like, you don't need clarity. You need to reconnect to you. And a lot of people will then ask me the question, like, how do I do that? I feel so disconnected. And so I advise anybody, like, grab a piece of paper and write down a list of people, places, things that make you feel yourself, that make you feel like you're really in your body, that you're you. There's certain friends I have, especially in our circle, Christine, where I just get so silly with them. And by the end, 
of being with them, I feel so me. And through that, I have so many creative ideas that are coming through because when I'm me, I'm creative. You know, it's like the biggest creative creativity hack is being yourself when you're connected to you. Yeah. So so true. It is. And so I always tell people like, get, if if you don't even feel you right now, if you feel totally disconnected, forget your career for a few weeks and just start reconnecting to you. Start looking at, you know, for me, it's as simple as the ocean. I feel so good when I'm at the beach and there have been a couple days throughout the pandemic where I'm like, I feel so off. I need to just go drive and I'll drive to the beach. And I feel so much more in my body when I'm sitting there. Maybe I'll call a friend if I want bonus points. <laughs> and by the end of it, it's like feeling good is something that I think leaks in your life. And when you can feel good, it's like it raises your standards elsewhere. So if I'm stepping into my business and I don't like some things I'm doing, it becomes so clear when I'm you know, doing things that really honor myself and I feel myself. And so I would tell anybody just kind of the concept of making a U-turn can start with your relationship with yourself and then it can leak in to your career, which is what I intended through my book. Mm, I love that. And can we talk about the 10, I don't know if you can do all 10, but the 10 core skills that people can think about as they're thinking about their career and their relationship to it. Yes. So what's really funny about these is that how you're going to look in your core skill set is going to be different than how somebody else might look using the same core skill set. So it's very much what matters to you as you're hearing these. And each one's kind of an energy. It's not just tactical. So one of the core skill sets is building. And that can be quite literal, like a mechanic or a construction worker, or it can be more of a metaphor, like a web developer who's building a website. So it's really about how that energy sits for you. Um, Another core skill set, number two, is innovation. So that means that you are the intrapreneur in a company, you're a creative self-starter, you run your own book of business, or you're the entrepreneur, the founder, the creator. And a lot of the times the entrepreneur has an intrapreneur that eventually rises in the ranks and makes the second in command. These are the creative problem solvers of our time. And you you really, as you're listening to these, need to think not which ones do I resonate with, that, that matters, but which one do I lead with? Because your top core skill set is what I think matters most when it comes to creating a good career for yourself. Um, so building innovation. We already talked about my core skill set, which probably is yours as well, Christina's words. And you know, those are the speakers, the writers, the content creators, even the business development and salespeople. It can look different for everyone. Talent agents are using words to make money. Um, but one question that comes up for me a lot when I think about this one, and really all of them, is whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And I know there's a lot of, you know, research on being an ambivert, but being an introvert is a really different way that you're going to lead when you're using words than what our extroverts are going to be doing. So the extroverts are on stage. The introverts like me are hiding behind their laptop, writing a book. That's where they get energy. So it's important to kind of consider that as you're thinking about how you're going to harness your core skill set. And number four is motion. And this one is always a surprising one for people. I think it's because, you know, nobody really realizes that motion is a skill set. And that can mean you're a fitness trainer. It can mean you're a masseuse. It can mean you're a tour guide on your feet all day. That's a skill. That way of being is not for everyone. And then another one is service. And this is the humanitarians, the nurses, the supporters, the thing about the service skill set, and I'm sure you've talked a little about this, Christine, is just that dynamic of being in trauma versus in the truth. Um, So there's a lot of people pleasers in their lives that will look at these skill sets and say, 
oh my gosh, service is totally my thing. I love serving people. And it's like, or that was just a coping mechanism they learned growing up and service isn't actually their unique brilliance. It's just something that they learned to be. So that's kind of ask yourself throughout all of these as well. Number six is coordinating. So, I mean, God bless these people, the event coordinators. I know you have Jill over there, Christine, at your company, and I'm sure she's a huge blessing. The coordination project manager, huge. (laughs) huge. Yeah. These people make the world go round. I'm always enamored by them. And then number seven is analysis. And this is the researcher, the academics, the economists. The thing about this one, I actually worked in the analysis core skill set when I was working in national security in the Obama administration early in my career. And this is why I was so tired all the time is because I am not an analysis person. And I was forced to be in that place to thrive in my job. I had to live in analysis. So um, another thing interesting, though, is that I got into counterterrorism thinking that I could use words, which is my core skill set. So I thought, oh my gosh, intelligence reports, all of this kind of stuff, it's all words and reading and, and writing, and I can do that. But really, it was analysis. And so there's a lot of that nuance to these, and you really have to kind of determine what do they mean for you. And, and then, of course, number eight is pretty straightforward, the number crunchers, the accountants, the investment bankers, the bookkeepers, like my mom. And then number nine is technology, the IT geniuses, the artificial intelligence creators. And number 10 is probably my absolute favorite, which is beauty. These are the people that just make art of the world around them. And I feel like you know when you're around one of these people because they're aesthetically so put together. It's a miracle almost. And you're, you know, (laughs) Um, the interior decorators, the makeup artists, whatever have you, the people who make art of the world around them. So those are the 10 core skill sets. And I know people probably resonate with two or three of these, but it really comes down to asking yourself, which one do I really thrive in the most? And I think it comes back to that question of when have you seen me at my best? When are you at your best? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. These are, these are great. And I know there's so much more in the book. And I think this book is a great, uh, great for anybody right now that's wanting a career change or isn't happy in their career and doesn't want to do like the U-turn in a car, doesn't want to totally go in the other direction. Because I think that's tempting for a lot of people. They're like, I hate working for another boss. I want to be an entrepreneur. It's like, well, wait a second. Are you sure you really want to be an entrepreneur or did that company and that culture and that particular boss not work for you? Because I see a lot of people leave corporate America, try to get into entrepreneurism and they're like, whoa, I'm not made to be an entrepreneur. So the opposite necessarily is not the answer. And I think a lot of people go to the opposite and think that that's going to be the solution. But what I really hear you saying is go in, go in first, figure out what your core skills are, figure out who you are, unpack a little bit of your money story and belief systems and where that hooks into your self-worth and confidence, and then make decisions from, from that place. And for, for introverts, any tips for introverts and networking? Because I know when you said don't apply work on networking, the introverts are like, oh, why can't I just sit behind the computer and send my application? So yeah. help the introverts with yeah, networking. I love introverts because I, you know, I actually am one of them and I had to override my inner introvert to network so hard the way that I did in Washington, D.C. And of course, over the years as a fellow introvert, I've found some ways to channel that. I found that introverts need to just go deep and not go wide. And so what that means for me is like, if you get the courage and muster that courage to join one of these virtual 
talk, talking rooms or event rooms, or you join a LinkedIn group, the mindset that I would offer you is to say, how do I meet one or two really kindred spirits in here? Just one or two. And I think going deeper and like really setting the intention to have a relationship with those people and really be of service to them as well as they grow their career, I think does wonders. You know, there's many different strategies. Obviously, the extrovert is going to spray and pray, you know, like they're mm-hmm. just going to network with everybody. But for the introverts, I think it's about going deep. And I find that that also works. Mm, mm, that's and one thing that I learned too as an introvert is actually networking one to one as an introvert is pretty easy because we're good at forming those deep connections. We're good at slowing down. We're good at nurturing those one on one relationships, and that's actually a lot easier than walking into a party and having to network that way. And so that's always what I focused on as an introvert networking is that one to one relationship. Exactly. And I also love what you said earlier, just about like people kind of questioning, like, is it this place? Is it this culture that's not working for me? Because I think the number one mistake people make is that they don't realize they're just a couple millimeters off usually in their career. And instead of just trying a different slice of the same pie, they throw away the whole thing. Right. Right. Anything else before we start to close out, Ashley, that, you know, a lot of questions that you're hearing from people right now, um, certain stresses that you think so many people are experiencing right now that you want to speak to? Mm, I, one field of work that I really love as a career expert is this concept called job crafting. And it's about turning a job that you don't love into a job that is perfectly serving the direction you want to go. So I think once you figure out what that core skill set is for you and realize there's so many different ways for you to express it, look at your job if you're in the workforce or even look at your business if you're an entrepreneur. And if you're in the workforce, you can ask yourself, what project can I take on that really honors my core skill set and that would make a difference for this company? And can I approach my manager and, and let them know that I would love to take on this project? I would love to take initiative on it. That way you're giving yourself something you can put on your resume that you can talk about with people and that can actually hone that skill set that you want to be expanding upon. So I think that job crafting is just a really good tool to help you prepare for a pivot. And I think for entrepreneurs on the same note, it's like figuring out, okay, if most of your business is thriving based on one service, what is one other service that you would absolutely love to eventually grow? And how can you take the initiative and put some pieces into place to start with that right now without putting all of the pressure on it? So I would say start job crafting and uh, your skill set in that way. I love that. And where can people get the book and connect with you? Ah, thanks for asking. Okay, so the book is probably out now when you have this episode hit. It's out January 26, 2021. I'm so excited about. And you can get it at uturnbook.com. It's everywhere books are sold. But at uturnbook.com, it's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. You can order it there. And when you upload a screenshot of your receipt, I have about 25 hours of free course content Give, I'm giving away to anybody who pre-orders or orders the book within the first couple of weeks it's out. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you for being here. Thank you for just walking the talk. I know that you have had a lot of U-turns in your own career and found your sweet spot. And And even though it's been hard, and even though I'm sure there's times you've wanted to give up and do something else, you've really stuck to it and found your path. And I want to circle back to something you said in the beginning is that our career is in a straight line. It, it, we don't have to choose one thing and then stick to it forever. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to take risks. We're allowed to dream big. And that's one thing I'd love to finish on is even in this time when there's a lot of contraction and a lot of fear, it's still okay to dream big in terms of what you want to do in the world. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, 
Yeah, everything passes, everything moves. It's the only truth. It's the best and the worst news of life, right? That everything is always going to change. Yep. Yep. And the change doesn't have to be bad and the change doesn't have to have a loss. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 